At Advent, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, born to this earth, a hope that was to come to the ancients, now revealed unto us. Colossians 1, 26, the mystery that was hidden for the ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. God's mystery locked up under the old covenant was that Christ would be given to the world as its hope. Christ, the hope of this earth, has been revealed to us. He is no longer a mystery. Another passage of revealed hope is Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust in him and you yourself will overflow with the hope for this world. So we have this hope in Scripture. Christ, the mystery that has come, and we are to overflow this hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has empowered us to live on this earth as his overflow of hope. So where is our hope? And why are we not living in fulfilled hope? The Lord's Prayer, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Why does our hope in Christ not flourish and overbound and overflow in our lives? Now, I've got a new hobby, uh, which is gardening. And uh, it's kind of born out of the cost of food at the moment. Anyone else feeling that? Yeah. So I thought I'd try and save some money um, by growing my own food you know, a little bit. So it started out when I was out in the garden, and uh, all these tomato plants were popping up all over the place. Um, they're all in random places. So, they, but they were producing some good tomatoes. So I took a couple of the fruits and uh, made some seeds out of it, and I split them up into two lots. So I planted the first lot, I took them in a pot and left them under the front stairs and let the rain and the sun take care of them. Um, so the natural elements kind of took care of them. The next lot, I'd seen one of those videos, um, you know, online of someone use uh, like an egg carton to grow your seedlings. And I thought, that's a good idea. I can carry them around, water them easily under the tap, you know, I can bring them inside at night time, put them outside during the day for the sun, you know, close the lid when they need to be kept warm, you know, and I even went out and bought some special seed dirt for growing seeds, which apparently is just like tiny dirt. <laughs> so I followed someone's online instructions and I thought this was a really good idea. You know, you can keep them away from animals and bugs and everything like that and I'll check them and water them every day. And after about 10 days, I kind of forgot about them. And eventually, um, Esri comes in and says, Hey, Dad, I see your, your um, tomato plants have sprouted. And I'm like, yeah. 
I'm a genius. I'm a genius, you know. I, um, I should buy a farm now, you know. I, I got it sorted. I got it sorted. If you don't know my personality, you can know I'm t being totally facetious at the moment, just so you know. You see, I, and then I went over to the, to the egg cart and I lifted up, I opened it up, and looking back at me was a pile of dirt. And I'm like, Esri, you know, we're, they're not grown yet. Oh, the ones you put under the stairs, they're the ones that have flourished. And it was like, oh, well, you know. You see, I had much hope in both lots of the seeds to grow, but my hope in the seeds was not fulfilled because the seeds were in the wrong environment. You see, the seeds were from the same source, the same tomatoes. I had hope for the seeds to grow, but they needed the right environment. And it's the same for hope. If we want to see hope grow, it needs to be planted in the right environment. And when Jesus came into the world, he came into the world not just to bring hope, but to change the environment. You see, when Adam and Eve gave their authority over to Satan, the environment of the earth changed. Jesus then had to come as the second Adam to become a life-giving spirit to restore authority over the earth. See, 1 Corinthians says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, or Christ, a life-giving spirit. So which do we inherit? The living being or the life-giving spirit? Do we inherit Adam or Christ? The life-giving being or the life-giving spirit? And which do we work out? So think about those words just for a moment. Life-giving spirit. If Christ is a life-giving spirit and we inherit his nature, we are made to be life-giving spirits as well. Right? So what does that say about your environment? What does it say about the impact you can have on your environment to be a life-giving spirit? It means that he's given you authority to speak life. In his name, you can speak life over your environment. You can be a life-giving spirit to the environment around you. You are the overflow of the Holy Spirit. And that overflow is designed to impact the world around you. There's a scripture in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are to overflow with hope. 
So that overflow will impact the world around you. And also remember, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are to overflow the Holy Spirit out of that temple. John 7 says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his belly will flow living waters. You become the hope and change for the environment around you as you believe and trust in him. So what does this look like? Simple kingdom stuff. Where you see sickness, where you see death, decay, chaos, destruction, you as an ambassador of Christ can speak the kingdom into circumstances. You can be that life-giving spirit where you see chaos. And we partner with him as ambassadors to fill the earth with his kingdom and his goodness because we are life-giving spirits. Just like my tomato seeds needed the right environment, hope will flourish in the right environment. However, sometimes to get to that place, we need some help. Okay, I'm going to read a story of the man at, in um, John 5, the pool of Bethsaida. Uh, but just before we do, I just want to put up on the screen uh, two of the sources where I get my uh, study from. I just want to credit these guys, you know, because I didn't make this stuff up. And uh, if you're interested, you can uh, go find these guys online because they're quite knowledgeable. So if you've got your Bible, we're going to read John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. My mistake, Bethesda. And which is covered, surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was, was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who has been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry a mat. But he replied, The man who made me well 
said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away to the, into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. I've got a map there of where the, the pool is located. So up the top there, you'll see the pool of Bethesda uh, in blue. Uh, it's located exactly where John says it was, outside the Sheep Gate. This is in contrast, if you see down the bottom, inside the temple walls is the pool of Siloam. And interestingly, uh, Jesus told the blind man to wash in the pool of Siloam, but he didn't tell this crippled man to wash in the pool of Bethesda. And we'll see why in a minute. So the pool of Bethesda is outside the city gate. And John mentions that it's next to the sheep gate where the sheep would go into the temple to be sacrificed. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's some symbolism about the sheep gate going on here. I think, and you can think about this later, it's just my thought, I think Jesus is kind of acting out the parable of the lost sheep because Jesus is going outside the temple to look for a Jewish man who, through whatever circumstances, has lost his faith in the temple system and has to go out and hang out in a pool outside the temple gates. But I'll let you think about that. If he leaves the 99 to go after the one. So the pool is not inside the temple and it's most likely not a Jewish pool. Uh, the temple, uh, sorry, the, the pool was excavated in the late 1800s and John says that it was uh, had five colonnades, and this is what it looks like. Before it was discovered, it thought just by reading the context, it would have had five colonnades, like, like a pentagon. But it actually it has got five sides. So if you imagine the rectangle, it's got two long colonnades and three short colonnades. Okay? So it's simply got an upper pool and a lower pool. Now, there is very good evidence at the time that the pool, at the time of Jesus, the pool was part of the worship of one of the pagan gods called Asclepius, who was the god of medicine and healing. So this was most likely a pagan pool being outside the temple walls. And then when we get to verse 4 in the scripture that we just read, Okay, there's a little bit of confusion that happens here because most Bibles now leave out this verse 4, which I read about the angel coming down and stirring the waters. It's most likely agreed that this was now an edit. So in the third century, they would copy the scrolls and one of the scribes thought he would put some more historical context on about the angel coming down and stirring up the waters. But he kind of created a bit of confusion, which kind of led to the worship of angels, that an angel came down and do this. 
But it's more likely he was pointing out that this was a pagan practice of healing that happened at the pool. And it's caused a lot of confusion, and that's why it's now a footnote in your Bibles. And further archaeological evidence found that the, the two pools were connected. And it's theorised that the upper pool was where the priests would hang out and all the crippled would hang down in the lower pool. And they would be able to release water through a hole that connected the two pools and caused the bubbling, hence keeping the mythology of Asclepius and the healing at the Pool of Bethesda going on. So, why does Jesus then decide to walk into a pagan pool? And this is where the parable of the lost sheep, I think, comes in. He goes into the, para- into the pagan pool looking for a Jewish man. Because Jews are not generally found loitering around pagan pools. Yes, Jesus came for all mankind, but he first came for the Jews first and then to restore the Gentiles and the whole world. So Jesus walks into a pagan pool looking for a Jewish man. A Jewish man who has lost his way. Now, how do I know he was a Jew? Well, because later on, He was berated by the Pharisees for carrying his mat. They would not berate a Gentile for carrying his mat because Gentiles don't follow the law. And a Gentile wouldn't be in the temple area, except for the Gentile area. So the crippled man, to end up here at a pagan pool, most likely would have lost his hope in his Jewish culture. So much so that he left his home and was most likely sleeping there at nights because his bed was there. His environment was bad. Now we can only guess what led him to the pool, but we now see that all his hope was in the pool. And I simply guess that Jesus came into that environment of that, that day You know, the Jews had lost, kind of lost their way in caring for the sick and elderly. In fact, later on in John, they associate sickness with sin and the rejection of God. So Jesus walks into this pool and says to the man, do you want to be healed? And the man response says, it's all about the pool. I, I, I can't get to the pool. No one can help me get into the pool. The water bubbles, and, but no one can help me get there. This man had lost all hope and was totally focused on the pool. And Jesus came to restore him and not only to change his physical environment, but to be the, the life-giving spirit. His environment needed to change his physical environment, and his spiritual environment. You see, he had hope. He had hope misplaced. He had hope in the pool. For whatever circumstances led him there, he was not going to find hope in that environment. Jesus came to restore hope to the man and to restore his environment. 
So what did he say next? Pick up your mat. You're not coming back here. You need to leave this environment and get to a healthier place. So with all that in view, I'm going to show you a small video clip, which is a segment of the series The Chosen. So Craig, if you wouldn't mind uh, cueing that and playing, please. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so, Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you, or who's not helping, or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. Mm -hmm. 
free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. You're not coming back here. Hope needs a good environment to grow. Jesus came as the hope. But sometimes we need to shift our own environments. We can do it by ourselves, but sometimes we need help. And this might mean moving to a healthier physical environment, different people, relationships, surroundings, where the environment can feed us or nourish us. A good environment, hanging out, fellowship. During the week, here's a good environment. It can also mean an environment where our mind needs to change. The way we think. Are we living in a hopeless environment? Are our minds consumed with the cost of living, with fear, anxiety? Maybe we don't know that God is for us and not against us. Maybe we need to change our mindset. Maybe we need to change our physical environment. Maybe we see that our sin is connected to our sickness. You see, Jesus sees the man in the temple later and says, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. So we read this and immediately our minds go, oh, that's right, it was his sin that caused his sickness. But what was his sin? His sin was the same as Adam's sin. You see, he was putting hope in the pool. Adam was putting hope in an apple. The sin, he had put his faith in the pool because his sin was that the pool was his hope. That's why he had to leave that environment. And we might need Jesus to step into our minds and reconnect our hope to him. Whatever we've put our hope in, we need to reconnect our hope with him. You might need to step out of your environment, pick up your bed, and leave. Would you like to stand with me as we pray? Romans 15, once again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we reach out to you and we thank you that you dwell in us and that we are living temples of hope. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us again. Restore our hope. Restore everything that we need in you. We confess that our hearts have been looking to the pool or to the apple or to money or to whatever, Lord, and we need to look back to you, Lord, and say you are our source. Plant us in a good environment. 
you came to defeat the powers of sin and sickness at the cross. And Lord, we want to step into your environment now and say, let your kingdom come into this house, into our lives, and let us be your agents to bring life. Holy Spirit, come. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you, your presence. We welcome your peace, your restoration, your hope and your love. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for everyone online as well. We pray that you have a good week. In Jesus' name, amen.